listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams from Apricot Consulting. Revealing conversations with execs designed to provide leaders practical insights and behaviours to build organisations that lead to commercial and social outcomes. I'm your host, James Natsis, CEO of Apricot Consulting. I'm joined here today with Mark Elliott. Mark Elliott has had 17 years as an MD or CEO. His roles include being an executive mentor, a non-executive director of a consulting firm, a chair of 2020 Exchange and St Paul's College, University of Sydney. Aside from these current roles, other senior roles at Calibre, Connick, Multiplex, as well as some of his great achievements as CEO, which culminated in the $8.3 billion Sydney Metro Northwest, previously called Northwest Rail Link, which was delivered in May 2019, and importantly, on time and under budget. Thanks for joining us, Mark. At Apricot, we work with a number of clients that work on very large construction and infrastructure projects. The challenge of delivering on time and on budget is a complexity all organisations face. Our topic of discussion today is about effective stakeholder management, or simply the art of working with people to deliver projects on time and on or under budget. A really key topic given the national and global infrastructure spend that nations are pouring into to transform their economies uh, through these large projects. Mark, it's great that you can join us today. Thanks for having me, James. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great for, for you to be with us. Now, tell us a bit about your career as CEO and MD in construction and infrastructure. What are some of the key lessons that you've learnt in your time? James, that's always a really interesting question. The the key elements, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have worked across Australia and uh, and lived across Australia through 35-odd years in the industry um, and a little bit internationally. I've uh, And I've had a really varied career. I've worked on all sorts of major infrastructure projects on large mine sites, on small mine sites, heavy industry, light industry, uh, utilities. And um, the thing that, that that draws out is that there are different approaches across the country, um, which uh, are not always obvious, and different industries have different approaches. And I've seen, been fortunate enough to see some of the best people in the business uh, and some of the best delivery models. And I've also been unfortunate enough to work with some people that uh, perhaps a long way from being the best uh, and some projects that have had some pretty poor outcomes. Yeah, looking forward to sort of exploring that further. Given that many large pro- projects are happening at the moment, uh, it seems that quite a number of these uh, have cost overruns and are often not completed on time. What are some of the reasons that you find that that may happen? So setting the very first thing is clients setting their budgets and their timeframes uh, and, and getting that right and getting the right advice there. I've been uh, in the room with clients where their driver is to get a project for a particular price or less and within a time frame. Now, that sort of got things back back to front in that, um, generally speaking, it's going to take a certain amount of money to deliver a certain 
type of project and a certain time frame. So to try and squeeze it, squeeze those two things into something that matches what you as a client believe you want to do does not necessarily lead to a very good outcome. Uh, secondly, documenting. So um, both in terms of documenting the scope and, and allocating responsibility. Sometimes people talk about risk matrices and so forth. Those two things are critically important and clients uh, who have the capability can do it themselves or else they need to get very strong advice. The mistaken number of clients, and this goes particularly to some of the government clients, um, the mistake they make is they go initially to their lawyers and the lawyers are not experts in setting scope, nor are they experts in allocating responsibility and risk. Their expertise is in documenting those things well once they're decided. And my advice to those clients has always been that you need to set those things first before you speak to your lawyers and you speak to your lawyers second. Arguably, the most important thing is people. And there are three A's that you can use. So, so one is the attitude of the people involved. The second one is the aptitude of those people involved. And the third is accountability. And that's both their defined accountability and the implied accountability. Uh, and those are the areas that, that I think really need to be focused on for successful project delivery. Fantastic. Three A's, attitude, aptitude, and accountability. So building on some of those points, Mark, the concept of working effectively with people or stakeholder management, whatever label you want to put on it, why is that critical to the success of project outcomes? So, so a lot of people talk about the various sort of technical elements of projects, whether that's the engineering, the systems and processes, the contracts, uh, the contract management, uh, procurement. All of those things are important. But if you look beyond each of those elements, where it happens well, there are some really good people who do some really good work. They've got the expertise, they've got the drive, they've got the experience. So to deliver on any one of those sort of more technical areas, it takes people. So, so, so that's the first port. The second port, though, is when you consider what project management is really about. Project management is about issues management. Anybody who's been anywhere near a project, whether it's the largest infrastructure project in the country or whether it's a simple home renovation, the whole process is around identifying the issues, articulating what they are, determining what your options are, determining who will do what, to, and then closing out that issue. Um, when you've got very, very large projects, of which we have a number in Australia now and we will continue to have many, the issues management it becomes such a large and important task that there are many, many people that need to be involved, multifunctional teams and so forth. And to try to get to work that to work really well, it's critical that people are able to deal with other people. Uh, they can't be resolved through emails, through going back to contracts, etc. They need to be resolved by people who are really keen to sit down and work through each and every issue one by one face-to-face, -face, perhaps on teams or, or, or something like that. But that is absolutely fundamental to successful projects. And those that are not successful, I'll put it to you that, uh, that it is most likely that there has been a breakdown in relationships between key people on that project. Fascinating. Sort of building on that, 
breakdown element markers to one of the key reasons why these fail. When did you realise in your career that working more effectively with people or the relationship element, as you call it, would be the key to effective project outcomes? Were there any events or stories that particularly shaped you? Yeah, yeah. So actually, that I've often reflected on this. That started when I was in high school. So I was fortunate enough to be at a school which had a strong cadet program, uh, as in army cadets, and and strong sporting program. And in my last year at school, I was I was fortunate to be a leader both in cadets and and of a sporting team. In the cadets, we had a, a challenge, and um, in order to sort of you know, for somewhat selfish reasons uh, to win a, with a, the platoon competition. Uh, I needed to talk. I needed everybody to abseil, and there was one 15-year-old. I was 17. One of the 15-year-olds was very reluctant to have a go at it. Uh, the fear had kicked in, and so forth. And I remember spending 20 minutes standing on the top of a cliff right beside him, talking him into jumping, uh, and talking that through. And eventually, he did, and he did it four more times. Um, and it wasn't until the bus back to school a few days later that he said, um, said, look, uh, thanks so much for that. I would never have done that. Thank you for spending the time. And it was at that point that I realised that spending time talking to somebody and walking them through something um, can really make a difference, not only to the outcome, but can actually make a difference to that individual and their own confidence and their ability to do something. So, uh, and the other thing is your own personal tenacity. It's very easy to sort of give up and say, look, he's not going to do it and walk away from that. So you roll that forward another decade. And I remember being told that you can never make money out of concrete paving and you can never meet the specification. And I spent time with another key individual and we formed, we, we went back to the company and said, we'll run the concrete paving team because uh, we reckon we can actually do it well and we reckon we can make money out of it for the company. And we took that on and built a concrete paving team. That, that team the, the, that team still exists some 20 plus, 20, 25 years later. Uh, and we did. We, we produced a good quality product. Our key client back then, the Roads and Traffic Authority, even sent us a brief letter saying these are the fantastic results, these are the results we've been looking for for years. And it was all because the two of us got our heads together and said, how are we going to make this work? And one of the critical decisions we made over a bottle of red wine one night, who are the key people in the, in the team and what positions should they have and how are we going to deal with the different personalities and the different strengths and weaknesses of the individuals? So that was the second learning. And then the third one, um, again, a number of years later, was uh, when I ran the Northern Territory for a construction company. The, there was a project building a pipeline that got into an awful mess. Um, I went down there to look at it for four days. I ended up there for four months. And the critical learning there was that there was a complete breakdown between the company that I worked for and the client um, in communications and, and trying to repair that was, was a very difficult task and we really never got there. The flip side was when the company got into trouble, the number of old company people who put their hand up to come and join the project in the middle of the Northern Territory, in the middle of nowhere, to come together and help the company get 
out of trouble. We had a guy who'd been retired for four years. He was 69. He and his wife drove up from South Australia for two days to come back because their old company was in trouble and they needed, you know, we needed supervisors to help us deliver the project. And he came, his wife came, they came and lived in the camp for six months. So some of those sorts of people stories really, you know, really underpinned the later parts of my career. Some really powerful stories there, Mark, and certainly ones that would shape you. Uh, fast forward that to the Sydney Metro Northwest, and given the, the magnitude of that project and also the array of stakeholders, and they are many and varied when it comes to large infrastructure, infrastructure projects, what are some of the practical regular habits that you, were, that you established that were helpful in leading, managing and engaging people? on that project so so very large projects like the uh, city metro northwest there those projects have you know we peaked with three thousand people on site on on any one day in the middle of the project was turning over in excess of 100 million a month so you know they're actually the, the size of reasonable sized companies one of the mistakes that gets made is is by having people who have not run large and complex organisations um, uh, involved at very senior levels in those projects. And I guess I, I was fortunate in that I had run whole companies in the past. And so working with a, an array of complexity and relationships and so forth was something that, I, that I've been heavily exposed to over a long period of time. Um, a couple of the specific things is, is getting the right people. So like a large company, you've got to get the right people in. And on day one, you're not necessarily going to have all the right people. And it's really important to work out which ones are going to work out and which ones aren't. And you have to deal with that. And on a large project, there will be many parties involved. So a number of the people who you may think are not quite the right fit for what you're trying to do and achieve may be working with other organisations. So one of the keys was to uh, identify those and talk to those organisations and try to influence a different outcome. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, if, if that particular individual is not right, well, what is the right person that we want there and how do we get that company to switch the people around? Um, the second one is communication. And communication in any organisation is absolutely critical, but there's so much that's going on on these projects. If you're not getting the communication right, it, it makes it an incredibly difficult project. And there are layers of communication. So there's the high-level stuff and there's the formal stuff. We spent a lot of time and effort on the informal communication. Um, the client, so I spent a lot of money on coffee through that time. We also uh, instituted a, a monthly dinner where we would have ourselves uh, and some of the other key elements of our project that came from different companies and we would, we would sit down and, and, and our, my organisation sponsored that once a month. We would have a dinner once a month and we would usually have a theme where we would discuss a particular area that was really concerning us and have a round table, have everybody have some input. What, what do you think we could do differently as a group of people that might make a difference? And it's quite amazing how the dynamic of that discussion was very different from the dynamic of the discussions that we would have on site in more formal meetings. And we actually came up with quite a number of mechanisms through those dinners that we implemented back in the, on the project that proved to be pretty successful. 
And we also got to know each other. We got to have a you know a glass of wine together uh, and, and knew each other as people. And you find the more you get to know people as people rather than, you know, that's the person sitting across the table from me in a business setting, the easier it gets to relate with them and then to find solutions that might suit your organisation and theirs. Some incredible advice there and even just your example of dinner, coffee, wine, getting to know people as people, something about the power of breaking bread, having a drink together and building that personal people element seems to be really, really critical. There's some excellent insights there. Mark, I suppose sort of rounding out our podcast today for the construction and infrastructure execs that may be listening to this podcast or perhaps other leaders within organisations as projects are a key part of the the new world as we adapt and become more digitised, etc. What's the one piece of advice, and I know it's very hard to distill down to one bit of advice that you would give them about influencing project outcomes, how to do so? I, I, I think the one piece of advice I would give people is to get to know yourself first. So by that, I mean, know what you're good at, know what you can work on, know the things that even if you work on them, perhaps you're not going to be the one who can do the, you know, uh, carry that forward. Um, you know, knowing your communication style, knowing how you're going to how you relate to people, which people you relate to well, which ones you don't, because that then informs how you might approach each different situation, and that informs you how you might build a couple of key people around you who are complementary to your skills, and that makes a massive difference because I know, you know, if I use think back to any of those examples we've talked about today. One of the other critical elements was having some really good people who I worked with who had complementary skills, um, you know, whether they be technical or interpersonal skills or relationship building or were capable of building different types of relationships. All of that played into some of the successes um, and that would be my one piece of advice. Some excellent insights there, Mark, and I just to sort of round up what you said there, knowing yourself before you know others and how to how to work with them uh, is really, really critical. That That's pretty profound uh, as you consider how do we get the most out of people, uh, and that starts with knowing yourself first. Hey, some excellent insights today. I really appreciate having you on today's podcast. Thanks, James. I've really enjoyed it. Great to have you. Thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us on Inside Healthy Teams. Apricot works to build the health of leaders, teams, organisations and the broader community. If you enjoyed today's podcast and wish to check out our other episodes, please rate and subscribe or you can head to our website or social media. Just search for Apricot Consulting. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.